0: Welcome to Ag Future, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the challenges and opportunities facing the global food supply chain and speak with experts working to support a planet of plenty. I'm Tom Martin, and for this episode of Ag Future, we're joined by Fiona Walsh, a professor of microbiology at Maynooth University. She is also the head of the Antimicrobial Resistance One Health Research Center. Dr. Walsh joins us from Maynooth in County Kildare, Ireland. Welcome to Ag Future, Dr. Walsh.
1: Thank you very much. Nice to be here.
0: And first, if you would, more about your lab, the Antimicrobial Resistance One Health Research Center. What, what are the main objectives and the ongoing projects in your lab related to AMR and the microbiome?
1: Well, really, what we're we're trying to understand AMR uh, in terms of one health. So that's not only humans, but also animals and the environment and how they move between each of those environments. So what's what's happening that enables them to transfer between, let's say, animals and soil, or between food and humans. And within each of those environments are microbiomes, which are really complex mixtures of different bacteria and fungi and viruses. And each of those then has a, a part to play individually on how the AMR can or maybe cannot transfer across those different kind of borders.
0: Could you elaborate a bit more on why an understanding of plasmid mediated AMR transmission and its impact on environmental, animal, and human health, uh, why that's so important?
1: So the the plasmids are mobile pieces of DNA. This means that they can move between different bacteria. So different bacteria of the same species or different bacteria of different species. And those bacteria are present everywhere. And they cause infections in humans and they cause infections in animals. And also they, they cause either pollution or infections in plants as well. So each of those components is really important, but the AMR part is usually transferred on the plasmids and if those plasmids can move between different bacteria and different locations it's essentially the the kind of the minimum number so it's it's the smallest part Uh, there's there's only genes that are smaller than that that can transfer resistance so if we look at that we can see what and how they transfer between those different bacteria with the idea of not only of trying to understand it But understanding how some of them do not transfer and how we might be able to stop the transfer, but also not only transfer across each of those borders, but even within a human or within an animal. How does does that plasmid and that mobile piece of DNA move from maybe a a non-pathogenic, non-infectious bacteria, to one that's causing an infection, which is where really they they actually do their damage. When they're in bacteria that cause no infection, nobody really cares because we don't need to treat those with antibiotics. It's only when we need to treat the infection that they really become a problem.
0: Well, antibiotic-free production has been a pretty hot topic for consumers and for policymakers. In your opinion, Dr. Walsh, how can we effectively transition to farming practices that reduce reliance on antimicrobial agents? Are there any successful strategies that you find especially promising?
1: Well, I think the main thing to remember is that we're using antibiotics uh, in, in this day and age globally to treat infections. So what we need to do is look at how we can prevent those infections. What is it that we can do on the farm or within our practices that enable those infections to stay off the farm or when they're on the farm that they're minimized? So usually what happens is that healthy animals or or, um, in terms of if it's plant agriculture, healthy plants don't get sick. So health maintenance is really very, very important in terms of prevention rather than cure. It's a very old phrase, but it's one that's very important. So if we're going to transition to farming practices that don't require antibiotics or that require only minimal amounts of antibiotics, then the focus really needs to be on ensuring that those animals stay as healthy as they possibly can in a productive environment. So farming and agriculture are businesses. They need to make money, you know, otherwise they're they're a hobby. So what we need to make sure is that. This can be done in an economically viable state as well. So where organizations say we must ban antibiotics from use in animal production, we also need to look and see what will the impact of that be on the price of food if that's going to be the the end case, because the consumer is Uh, having to to pay the price for that as well. So maintaining really the the health of the animal is vital if we're actually going to properly transition to antibiotic-free meats or antibiotic-free animal production.
0: Well, I'm very curious about the work that, that you've been doing and, and what it yields. Uh, what have been some key findings from your research on the animal microbiome, specifically regarding broilers and layers? And have you observed any unexpected or noteworthy patterns or trends in the microbial communities of these birds?
1: Yeah, we've, we've got uh, some major findings really are that uh, microbiome uniformity or maintaining a solid uniformity and consistency of the microbiome is really important for the flock health. So this means that um, if you have a flock that has a healthy microbiome, the variation across those microbiomes is less um, than if you have a flock that's unhealthy. So when you have this uh, unhealthiness, it means that uh, the bacteria or the viruses and fungi in there aren't working as well together in that synergy as they should, and that enables infections to to play a role then as well. So again, it's this this what seems like a simple concept of maintaining a strong. Healthy microbiome, but obviously we don't we don't understand everything yet as well. When we're talking about microbiomes, it sounds like I'm I'm describing something that's that's been around for years in terms of description. But there's a large fragment of that that we really don't understand. Um, There are many bacteria present in there that we've never been able to grow in the lab, so we don't know what they're doing or how they're working with each other. So there's there's really a huge amount still to learn. The other part that's also interesting, and this isn't only to do with birds, this is also to do with humans as well, is that no two birds microbiomes are identical. So each, in the even when they're in the same flock, in the same shed, they're not identical. So there are variations that are happening that are impacting the microbiome, maybe only to a very small extent, but to an extent due to that animal or uh, to the environment itself. So when we're looking at these, there's there's a lot of complexity that, that goes with it. But when we're looking at then things like um, the MRF, which is provided by Altec, the idea of, of looking at that is to see can that product or can other products maintain the health of those microbiomes? And by doing that, then that prevents the um, invasion, essentially, of the um, pathogens into those systems so it's, it's it's really a very simple system of consistency and maintaining health which in theory is is very easy in practice is, is much more difficult
0: so does the reduction of antibiotics in animal production have any implications for the sustainability and the profitability for producers
1: there are many different impacts of that um and It also depends on the so it's not only what the farmer does, but it's also dependent on the consumer. So if the consumer sees uh, an antibiotic free uh, piece of meat as a higher worth, then they're willing to pay a higher price. Um, The difficulty is if they don't see the worth of that, then the farmer is actually taking the hit in terms of not being able to produce as many uh, animals or, or kilos per per uh, kilo of grain or whatever the food is. So the balance needs to be struck between those two in terms of ensuring that the farmer and the agricultural businesses are working in tandem with those organizations. So it needs to be a practical approach in order to make sure that it's sustainable and sustainable, I mean, in, in the future. So what happens in 50 years time when we want to make sure that people can eat uh, chicken meat or they they can have a nice steak and they don't have to essentially mortgage their house in order to pay for that how do we make sure that 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 happens which is a really difficult question but i think that the people that know the the hard face of the industry are the ones that are trying to make their livelihoods from it as scientists we can listen to that and try and put in um solutions or or try to understand the problems but essentially, it, it has to be more than one organization that's that's doing this in order to have it sustainable into the future.
0: Well, looking ahead, what are some areas of future research that you're particularly interested in exploring that relate to the microbiome, animal health, and the prevention of AMR?
1: One really interesting, there's, there's, first of all, there's lots and lots of interesting areas. Uh, as a microbiologist, this is this is essentially our golden era in terms of microbiomes. But one really interesting area is the idea that you can use the microbiome as this kind of defense system. So if you have a healthy microbiome, regardless of where the location is, so within an animal, within the soil or on a plant, can you prevent infection? So it's almost like a second immune system or a second defense system. And if you can, how how do we make sure that that microbiome, that specific type of microbiome is maintained? And I think that now is the time that we we understand more about the microbiome, but it it enables us to to look in such a deep way to see what's actually happening there. So one of of the examples of, of a study that we're doing at the moment is looking at soil that is flooded and uh, soil that's not flooded within the same location and seeing what's missing. So if we have things that are missing in terms of climate change, when soils get flooded, can we then reintroduce them to ensure that crops can can recover very, very quickly? But this is the the same idea with with animals as well. If it is a case that the microbiomes of animals due to stress or some other reason is changing, how quickly can we get that back to, to the normal healthy version as well? But also to to look in terms of the technologies we have for sequencing, we'll soon be able to paint a picture, almost if you imagine the face of every single bacteria within the microbiome, we'll be able to look at that face and say, we know exactly who you are. And then we'll be able to know exactly what each of them are doing as well. And that's that's unbelievably exciting for, for a microbiologist, because it means that we will no longer have to actually grow them in the lab in order to be able to see them completely. So it's it's almost like you're removing this shield uh, and you, you can look through the window very, very clearly into the microbiome. And then we'll be able to see as well the plasmids and where they are and which bacteria they're residing in. And once we can see all those things, we can have a much bigger picture of those very complex interactions. So it's it's really exciting. It's, it's a great time to be a microbiologist. And I think the microbiome has a, a much, much more to give in terms of the data that, that is present.
0: I'm wondering about AI. We've, have, we've known about artificial intelligence for so long, but last November of 2022, uh, with the advent of ChatGPT, the technology accelerated and expanded beyond anybody's expectations and i'm wondering how you foresee the integration of artificial intelligence in advancing our understanding of amr and developing more effective solutions and products in this field
1: well i I think that ai and and well certainly modeling is used um at the moment to understand both the individual plasmid bacteria interactions but also that that large-scale plasmid or AMR uh, microbiome interactions. And the great thing with AI is that you can do it at a huge scale. So if we have sufficient data, we can model or ask the question, what will happen globally? Something like if antibiotics are removed from the, the production of, let's say, chickens. And while we can see the data in terms of what we've done in research, it will be able to model the data on a huge scale. And we can ask different questions like what what would happen if then you add in climate change? So the complexity of potential signposts and uh, ideas of what might happen in the future can be given by AI and by modeling. But you can also do it on a, a minute scale of what's happening within the genes or on those plasmids in terms of how they then move and change within the bacteria. But the important thing to remember for modeling and AI is that they rely on data that we've already generated. So if we use data that isn't of sufficient quantity and quality, then our models won't be recognizable in terms of what will happen in the future. So we we also need to be careful as to how much reliance we put on models, we still need to test the model and see what will happen. But in terms of scale, it's beyond all capacity in order to be able to look at the scale of these things. So instead of looking at, let's say, 100 birds uh, treated versus 100 birds untreated, we could look at 100 million. We could look at all of the population of China's bird population and say, what would happen in that circumstance? And we saw this in terms of uh, predicting diseases in humans as well, so I think that this is this is a really interesting area as well, and I think that the mathematics is there. The difference is applying those mathematics to the biological questions that we want to answer and then being able to test those on a smaller scale to see how reliable the models are. But I think that they will also need to be updated as time goes on and we find out more and more data in that greater depth that we can through the novel technologies like metagenomic
0: sequencing. Well, thinking ahead a bit, what are the implications of that enormous scale that you're talking about for, for humanity.
1: Well it, it means that we can not only look at things on a giant scale, but we can see let's say in, in, in a country like Ireland or a place like Europe, we can predict what are the potential issues that might happen um in our own countries, but also to our food supply. And then the responsibility for that food supply might not only rest with the people producing the food but it may rest with the people that are consuming the food so is there a possibility let's say if if there is an idea that a disease is emerging and and they can model that disease is the idea then that those eating the food have a responsibility to those producing the food to ensure that they can do it sustainably because if we require that um the data could show in terms of modelling, that if we continue down this road, maybe an infection will will happen in the future. And how do we, as the consumer, help prevent that in a country that possibly doesn't have the economic viability to do it themselves? So I think there's going to be a lot of uh, more global questions uh, in addition to food chains and whose responsibility is it to ensure that the food produced is sustainable and that it's sustainable globally, not only in terms of uh, environmental sustainability, but in terms of the future for the industry as well.
0: Some fascinating technologies, fascinating science here. Dr. Fiona Walsh, Professor of Microbiology at Ireland's Maynooth University, thank you so much. Thank you very much. And for Ag Future, I'm Tom Martin. This has been Ag Future, presented by Alltech. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to Ag Future wherever you listen to podcasts.